acquire, what are all the ways you can acquire a property? Yeah, okay, no, I'm good. Like I, <laughs> yeah, I don't, do, I don't do that. <laughs> You're listening to the Homeboys Podcast, recorded in our Indiana office and with combined 40 years of experience. Here's your hosts, Clint and Scott. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Homeboys Podcast. My business partner and usual sidekick, Clint Witherell, is in Florida with his family doing a little Disney time. So today we have a special guest. Um, We're going to be talking about every step through our process on real estate investing so that people can kind of get an idea what it takes to go from A to Z. And today we have our director of acquisitions, John Lysak. Hey, everybody. So, John... Tell us a little bit about you. What got you into real estate? Uh, basically, um, I started out, well, my, my family's been in real estate forever. Um, so, you know that because I've known you for 30 years. Right. So, uh, but uh, I started there um, in the 2000s, ended up in the mortgage business, kind of went from the mortgage business um, when I moved back here to Indiana in 2009 and went into real estate from there. Yeah, 2009. You, know, you and I have been working together since... Pretty much since I got back. Yeah, so I had about, let's see, about 12 years of acquisitions focus in my early career. And then you came to town, and uh, we go way back, obviously. We grew up together. And I taught you everything I had learned over my 12 years. Yep. And then you took it to another level over these last 10, more than 10 now. Yeah, getting up there. 13 years. Well, okay, let's start real simple. Where do the properties come from that we invest in, that we purchase? Well, I mean, short and simple, it's foreclosures. Um, you know, whether the foreclosures be government-backed, which is your HUD or a Fannie Mae, um, or basically just a bank-owned um, through any, any bank that you'd regularly grab a mortgage from, is where we find most of our properties. Um, those come to us, you know, through MyBor, which is basically our MLS listing service here in Indianapolis. We're also part up up north and down south as well. And uh, you've got that. You've got wholesalers, which has become popular, which they have kind of a relationship direct to the cons- uh, the person selling their house as is. And then, then they send us their price and we go from there and research it just like we would anything else. And then you've got, uh, let's all see, we've got short sales which uh, have become a little less popular as, as property values have gone up. Yeah, so right. short sales for folks right now, short sales means that an owner is upside down on their mortgage, and meaning that they owe more than the property is worth. And so what they do is they contact their bank and they say, hey, I have to sell this house. I got a new job transfer or I've lost my job. Rather than you foreclose on me and they have to go through all that trouble, why don't I find a buyer that's pr- as close as I can to the amount that I owe you to pay this thing off? And in a hot market like today, we literally haven't seen one of those. You in don't two see years. them much anymore. Yeah, because the appreciation is going up so f- so much higher that if someone either gets in trouble or needs to move, it's pretty simple. They just list their house. Yeah. Okay, so let's back up. So you, the MLS is probably our number one source. Correct. And we we belong to multiple L- MLSs, and and so. How, how, how do we go about finding the right properties in there? Or, or how do you know what deals are? What do you look for? Like, just to start. Well, um, basically, 
pretty much every morning I've set up searches. So they go through parameters of anything that comes out, whether it be an as-is property, bank-owned property, government-owned property, um, any kind of distressed property, basically. And it comes to me, like, in my, in my searches, get emailed me, to me every morning. So I go through those, and basically, just from experience now with the areas and such, you kind of have an idea roughly of what, you know, you think the value is on that neighborhood. And if it looks like something that we'd be interested in pursuing, um, you know, we take it from there and move on to the next step, which is just getting a little more involved and actually looking at the numbers and add up. Right. That's, that's, uh, there's a lot of experience that cuts down on the time of this too, is one of the things I'm hearing and remembering so much. It's, you know, for a lot of folks, there's say, a hundred new listing bank owned and foreclosure listings every day that come out in an MLS. And we belong to three MLSs. Mm. So that's say 300 properties that come out. You're able to cut through those and get to the meat of the matter really fast. But a, a tip, a lot of realtors who don't specialize in this, you know, they don't know every street the way we do as investors. Right. It does save time. I mean, you, you, you know what to look for when you've been looking, you know, I mean, you get used right. to it. So you, you kind of, you have a pretty good idea of what, what, seems like something that you should pursue or spend your time uh, researching further just just from the from a quick glance in the morning on the on the uh, actual MLS sheets. So the goal is to see an offer on every new house the day it's listed then basically. Pretty much like if it's possible that's what we you know at least get an offer out there on it Um, and you know we try to get out there as soon as possible myself and then obviously our rehab manager Right. to confirm numbers and uh, go from, you know, make sure that our offers yeah. go to hold. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty tough for the, a regular individual investor to compete in any market right now because you have groups like ours with a full-time acquisition specialist who this is all you, this is all you do. This mm-hmm. is your job. Yeah. And you're, you're backing it up with a cash offer, close as quick as they want. So if for individuals out there trying to purchase foreclosure deals, you know, that they have financing and, you know, they've got a normal job and they, it takes them a couple of days to see it and to get comfortable with it and offer all the deals are picked over by then. For the most part. Yeah. Everything it's all based on speed and, you know, uh, you know, as quick as you can see a property, as quick as you can do the numbers, as quick as you can get your offer in. Um, and then obviously cash is king when you don't have the complication of dealing with financing, uh, obviously, uh, your offer is going to present stronger to whichever organization is selling it. This is kind of a sidebar, but, you know, one of the things that I've, I find interesting that, that gives us a little more power than, than I think even other groups like ours um, is we close on the property no matter what, even if our rehab superintendent goes out there and says, hey, yeah, this wasn't great. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've got a couple surprises every now and then. Yeah, and so we still close because in the long haul, we feel like we earn that money back by our offers always carrying a little more weight. So, you know, if, if you're an individual and you're, you're, you make an offer, it gets accepted. And then a few days later, you've, you know, you go out there and you're digging in to see what the rehab really is and you find major issues, you know, that individual needs to walk away. They should, but we don't have to. A lot of times we can usually work something out to make it work to make it work out. Occasionally we'll run into something like that, but it's very, very rare that we, yeah, we have to ever walk away from a deal. Yeah. Even if it makes our profits very thin, sometimes closing is, is still the, the best thing to do. Just, yes. Uh, you know? Yeah. 
So, okay, so there's the MLS you mentioned short sales, which really doesn't happen much anymore. You mentioned wholesalers, which is very popular right now. I think that anyone can buy from wholesalers. If you're looking for deals in your market, you can just Google wholesalers in your market and they're everywhere. Correct. And and the big ones spend a lot of money on advertising, making sure yeah. they're at the top of Google ads. And I've got I've built good relationships. I've had quite a few successful purchases through them. Um, so it is definitely an option that's available. I think tw- about 25% of our properties probably come from wholesalers. Right Maybe now. more right, right now. now. because of uh, everything with the, the current with yeah, the market not is. Yeah, foreclosures with the foreclosures coming out. Right, right. With the pandemic and everything, uh, foreclosures have been put on hold. So we end up dealing a lot uh, with wholesalers, which, like I said, are direct with the with the actual sellers on, of their yeah. properties. And they kind of work as a middleman um, between them and us. Sure. So there's a couple of other avenues that um, really aren't for the beginning investor or even a, a fairly seasoned investor, there, there's a couple of risky ways that we acquire properties, and the first one being sheriff sales. Yeah, it's a little more risk adverse because you're 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 putting you're putting a lot out there, and in a very quick amount of time. Yeah, so you don't, you know, it, in theory, you, it, you're not supposed to go inside the house because you don't own it for right. sheriff sale. You're bidding kind of unknowns, and a lot of times the house is occupied. Yep. And you're going to have to do the eviction process to get the house. And We've dealt with that yeah. several times. And, and, and then you've got to make sure that the foreclosure was done correctly. There's some possible tax issues that you can end up buying a, a property that there's a federal tax lien, and then you've got a dirty title. And, and there, there's just a million issues that we definitely don't recommend it except for the very seasoned, seasoned investor. Um, you know, I spent many years at the beginning of my career working with our lawyer, learning this stuff and, and really diving into it. And then as a company, we actually handle the foreclosure process for, um, for one local regional bank. Um, well, Barry does for us, but, um, that, that it's an interesting way to get properties, but that has to be later on once you're comfortable. Um, again, it's cash that day. Mm. And you, if you screw up, you, it's, it's on, on you. you. And it's, yep. it's tough. And then the last way is, is tax sales. And, and this is a long and arduous and complicated process that we don't feel is great for even most seasoned investors, much less newbies. Um, just because of the length of time that you have your money out there, there's some risks. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a whole other avenue. And, and we, take, we take advantage of it. And we also partner with other people who invest in the tech sales so that when they get a property back. You can have a whole another episode, series yeah. of episodes on how tax sales work. It's very complicated, but that's another way that people can acquire properties. But you've got your money out there for 13 months. You don't even own the property during that time. It's just, it's a very complicated process. It's not great for newbies, but that's just another avenue that we buy right. properties from. Yeah. Um, all right. So how do you, once... Any of those, any of those ways that the properties come in, how do you then select the properties that that you want to see and move, well, move forward I'd, with? I'd say you know just because now I've I've gotten used to looking at them every day. Basically, it's just area, the the asking price, things like that. that you know, things that they can you can kind of see where where your starting point is as far as an offer. Like, is there is there room to to rehab, make profit on the thing? You know, and so basically from there, you, you, you take it and I'll run comps and do the area view. Um, usually I know I know the neighborhoods around it. Uh, I'll run an, on the neighborhood. 
Um, and I go through the house, uh, just through the pictures and things like that, and kind of get an idea. When you look at these every day, you kind of you start to develop like this. Okay, I see that that's sitting that direction or that kitchen before you even know it. it's like that has to be gutted. Uh, you can look at a you know, and it's not yeah, more than just doing steps, it every day. Asking you the process and it's the kind steps, of wild it's now. kind of wild because you do it all on autopilot because we've now, done it so yeah. so long. But you know, I think the num the first thing looking back that we look at would be area, right? Right. We, you you make sure that it's in the location right. that we want a which, property in, which you kind of naturally immediately know. like. All right, I know that yeah. area. Like, eh. yeah. You know, on we don't on have to map. We've it. had successful rentals, and we places that we don't have. You know, have found out uh, tend to have a little more middle or a little more difficulty renting. Um, we know that kind of situation, and also value wise, like uh, you, you can pretty much tell before you even looked up, like where roughly I don't know this uh, three one brick ranch. Like, oh, that has to be one hundred forty. <laughs> yeah, you, know? you, you can yeah. because you do so many. But if you break it down for for the individual investor um, or, or folks who aren't doing this every day, I guess you start with area. You make sure it's in one of the areas that works really well for Should've us. Should have brought a list and just like written that down. You're right. <laughs> like, okay, let me try and go back and remember exactly yeah, how Because you I do, do all this on instinct, right. just on right. you do it every day. And and so you start with area. Um, you obviously make sure that it works for, uh, for where we like to invest. We're very specific. There's... We're geographically, we're pretty far out, spread out throughout the state, but there's a lot of things about areas that, that we want to pinpoint and, you know, that they, they run the gamut though, from, from far out rural all the way to, mm-hmm. you know, um, metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. Um, we stay away from kind of, um, that kind of the inner city stuff. That's a little lower end. You know, we obviously focus on that higher end. And, and so if you've got your kind of a, a target, area as far as just the general feel for an area that can be a good place just to start mm-hmm. you know like for us it's we want a suburban house that a family would live in yep. you know and it doesn't matter where it is in some ways but if you start with just that you can then break it down from there right. just knowing what you're looking for yeah and then you probably uh, again you do all of this you know just naturally now because you've done it so long but um, i know you eliminate a lot of houses based on the house themselves, the houses themselves. What what are some of the things that cause you to eliminate a house based on the house? You know, first of all, like floor plan, the, the, the kind of way it was built, the year it was built, you know, knowing that areas once again, like of, of, all right, those, those haven't, those haven't stood up well to the, you know, test of time. I don't really like that name versus you go to a same age area in another part of town and the houses have lasted great. And, you know, the basements are dry right. and things like that. So you kind of have that already built in your, in your head on places, you know, where you, where you expect value to be. Right. And then, you know, you mentioned floor plan. I think about, you know, I think about 95% of our houses are based on still having that same floor plan when they were built and not, but there's that 5% that we do that are kind of added on to and, right. and that, and we do about 5% that have kind of additions on them or other things, but about half the houses that we see have additions and we don't buy them. We try to shy away from what we call piecemeal houses. Yes. Yes. I mean, and that's just something we've learned from experience, probably, you know, success and failure on those. Right. Like uh, they, they, depending on when they were built or how they were built or who built them, uh, you know, it might've been the homeowner before right. building this. Like, yeah, it, because it's different, you'll end up with problems when it comes to right. rehab, making things 
work. I'm correctly. just thinking of one we did not that long ago in Evansville. That's um, it was done right, and so we bought it because the additions were done very well. But it it's giant house now, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's even then we ran into so many issues, even though it was done really well. Because it was just addition after addition. It also doesn't, you know, some floor plan, Why it's like, okay, now how do I make this work? Right. Because it doesn't make traditional, it doesn't fall in the traditional category. So I would say for newbies, they probably want to stick to a traditional floor plan, a traditional area, urban area, and keep it as simple as you can. Um, Be real careful when you get to the other stuff. Um, And that's how you pick a house, which... Which brings us to the the third thing, which is the ARV. Yep. You know, how do you um, go about understanding what a property is going to be worth? Um, basically, once again, this this is where just pulling your market analysis and comparisons uh, come up, and that's you know something uh, that you just you basically learn through time. It's it's got the history. You know, I go tend to go about a year back uh, on everything to see how what's far out sold. do you go. Uh, it depends. Like each house, sometimes I like to focus on the neighborhood. If the neighborhood shows me a number that I like, then sometimes just pinpointing that neighborhood is great for comparisons. There's other times where we're going to have yeah, to Yeah, let go me out. break this down. We're, when we're talking about comparisons here, we're talking about other sold properties basically within that neighborhood. He's saying he looks for sales for the last 30, 365 days, for the last yeah. year. And he starts with the neighborhood itself to see to determine the value of, of a property that we're going to be offering. Right. Neighborhood. Otherwise, uh, you know, it, you know, depending on where it's at though, in a rural, sometimes we'll have to go five, 10 miles out just because of where it's, you know, there's nothing sold in that area, but generally for the most part, it's, it's within a mile of the property, which I believe yeah. is the same value that appraisers use. So how much value do do you put on other listings in the neighborhood that are like active versus, uh, sold? The active is nice to see, um, but I really don't take any stock in it until until they've sold. It yeah. it can you know it can be an indicator of where things are going, but uh, you know obviously it's it's all until it's closed. Yeah. It's not yeah. It's in not this closed. market though, I guess you do have to pay attention to them because um, you know things have appreciated you know so much faster across the United States that yes, it's good and good to see where they're going, um, and maybe even where they are that day versus where they've been that year, but. I, you know, we do suggest being conservative. We always suggest being conservative and relying on the actual sold properties uh, that were in the in the um, in the past. So, when you're determining the after repair value, you're looking at the comps. You you go about a year back. You like to pinpoint it to that neighborhood, but depending depending where the house is, you'll go out further geographically to to pull those comps. Um, how long? Did it take you to get really good at that? And the reason I ask is there's a lot of new realtors and new investors who are trying to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I know how difficult that is. How long do you think it took you to get really good at pinpointing values? You know, I, I'd i like to think I'm really good at it now. That's you for sure. Are. But, uh, you know, I, I basically focused on this when we started together. I focused strictly on this side of the business. And 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 con- like doing this kind of analysis of homes that you know obviously need repair. So I'm over ten years now doing it, and I, it took it took a while, and I'm still learning because as we move into new areas, like uh, you learn new things. Like uh, it's it's each town's different. Sure. So it takes quite a while. Yeah, it's 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 a very difficult skill. I like to say it's as much an art as it is an, a science. You know, and and I think you and and obviously I 
can do it, you know, on autopilot. Um, we've done it so many times. And so just so folks know how it works for us is, you know, John goes out, buys the house, determines the after repair value. And then I, this is the one area and I still won't let control of, I still run my own comps on them. Yes. And this is after they've been purchased or, or after they've been, um, accepted offers. I still go out and I run my after repair value, uh, comps to determine it myself. Yes. You know, it's one of those skills that I want to keep frosty for some reason. That's a good one to have. I mean, it's it's good that you're looking at every house that we get, you know, I don't really need to. I mean, I can't even remember the last time you and I were apart. No, not really. Yeah. So it's, it's, so it's not really a necessary thing, but I do, I do understand how difficult it is and I'm proud at at how good you are at it and and how good I am at it. And I don't want to lose that (laughs) skill as much as anything, but that's a tough one for folks. But you know, that's one of the most important things when you're buying through this acquisitions process, you've got to know that ARV. You have to, because everything's based on that. Right. So after we have that ARV, the next step is there's still one large piece of information that we need to know before we create that offer. Yeah. And that's me physically going out to the property and determining basically an over kind of a big picture rehab cost because that that's that's your big number you know between where your arv is at and where your offer needs to be at to make the rehab numbers work right and basically you know as far as how that process it's pretty simple you get out there quick but as it, it probably isn't really simple but after you've walked about five six hundred or sales probably or something like right. that uh, you know you can walk in and see a kitchen and know that all right this basic kitchen at the rough size that it is, these cabinets aren't going to hold up. This all has to go, you know, and, and then assign a number to a kitchen. And that's basically how I I go through my process as I basically take each room right. and come up with a number, whether it just be paint carpet, floor, you know, paint flooring or windows all need replaced. I have a rough idea of what windows cost and I build from there a new roof. I can usually spot it based on square footage of the house right. and assign a number to that. And so it's just a lot of... Uh, it's just something you build up over time. And, and yeah. I feel I'm very good at it. I obviously feel our rehab manager who takes care of things, is he's the one with the real numbers. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Mine's just, mine is kind of like, are we in the right spot? Will this be, you know, something we can do? Sure. And we don't have time because, like we said, the offer process happens so fast. We don't have time to turn to have our rehab superintendent go out and put an exact bid together on every house. We're offering that same day the house is listed. So, you know, you or your realtor or your specialist like us needs to be able to know those things that day so you can offer. And so you're pretty good at putting together a a quick estimate. So yes, that's, that's what it is. It's a speed estimate so that we can offer so we can offer and feel comfortable about our offer. So once you have, so you start with the ARV, so you know what it's going to be, then you can subtract out the rehab, Mm -hmm. and then you can subtract out what you pay, and that will leave you your profit or equity in it. Yes. Pretty much that simple. So as long as someone has a good valuation, good not meaning that it's high, meaning that it's accurate, right? a good ARV. Yeah, you you can... Wish it was this price right. all day long. What it sells at is kind of a big deal. Yeah, and what what the true value is 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 really a big deal. So, you know, that that's the other thing is don't don't look at this stuff through rose colored glasses. You know, if a property, 
you want it to work. Um, but the numbers just are kind of pushing you and elbowing you and saying they're, they're just not there. It sucks, but just walk away, you know, don't offer on that. But you, you know, if you get the, the correct, accurate ARV and you get a, a rough, fairly accurate rehab estimate, you can easily come up with the offer amount that yeah. you want to go. You after just walk there. yourself backwards into what you feel comfortable profit wise or, or, you know, where it's the safe area for sure. you to offer and what you feel you know, strong about. There's a lot of other little things that you should add into your little formula to make sure there's going to be overhead costs. There's yeah. going to be cost of money. If you're borrowing it from someone, then you'll have some interest costs. Right. You know, if you're borrowing it, say even from like your 401k, which a lot of people do, yep. you know, you're going to have interest costs on that. But that's the basic acquisitions process. What's, what's the number one mistake that you see made in acquisitions? Huh, the number one mistake. Well, I think you really want to, I'd probably go with area. Yeah. Like once again, just focus on, and you know, we've all heard the location, location, location. And it, it said like that. And I think you guys used it in a previous episode. Um, but just knowing your areas that you're in and you know, what, what's coming next for that area. Are they putting in new roads? Is the school being shut down? Is, you know, a lot of things factor in and, and you know, that you might not know if you're not from, or at least have an uh, everyday dealing with the town or, from there. So I think that's, that can be the biggest mistake for sure. For sure. It's the most important thing, location, location, location. And it's the easiest way to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think that when you're looking for properties and you want to make something work, you got to be careful. You got to stick with the things that matter. Um, you know, you got to stick with that location, location, location. You got to make sure the house is not functionally obsolescent, like John talked about, you got to make sure that the numbers work, you know, don't look at everything through rose colored glasses, be real about it. And then once you're done and through this, it's always good to go back and review. We review every house mm -hmm. after it sells. Our CPA yeah. sends us an email with the breakdowns and we review them and see where we uh, were wrong on our numbers. We see where we were wrong on ARV wrong on rehab, anything that's off, we review ourselves. And, you know, we do that a hundred plus times a year on every single house. Yes. So that's an important step too to analyze what you did, where you went wrong, where you can improve. And, and, um, you know, you, you'll be, there, there's not a lot of specialists out there like John. In fact, I would argue John is one of the five, the top five acquisition specialists in the country. And I know most of the, the groups like ours, you know, there's, there's a, a couple of, of acquisitions, people who work for the hedge funds that are pretty good. There's a couple of guys that are pretty impressive there, but they're in multiple, multiple markets. You are by far. Um, like I said, I thought I was really good at this 12 years ago when I was, you know, really focused on it. And, uh, I feel like I passed all that info onto you and then you yeah. took it to the next level. So I think this is valuable info for folks to hear directly from you. I can't say it enough, you know, as, as much as we grew up together and I, I love you and you've been my friend my whole life. It's also really neat. I learn a lot from you too through watching you do this. And it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about it. And um, we just appreciate you coming on and absolutely. Uh, we'll hope to have you on some more over the years. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks everybody. We hope you enjoyed the homeboys podcast and uh, thanks. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>